This fall, we're in a series called The Gospel of Jesus. We believe the gospel presents a compelling case for what Jesus' early followers believed. Jesus fulfilled God's promise to redeem His creation and make all things new. We believe the gospel of Jesus makes the most sense in explaining the meaning and purpose of life and our part in it. Why did Jesus do what He did? So that we could go to heaven? Or is there more to the story? Well, good morning. We continue our series in the Gospel of Jesus. And we're asking the question, why did Jesus do what he did? Why did Jesus do what he did? If you were to interview informally uh, friends, family members, people at work, uh, people on the street, without question, if you said, why did Jesus do what he did? Besides, I don't know, you'd probably hear something like, so we could go to heaven. So we could go to heaven. Uh, Maybe somebody with a bit more experience would say, well, so he could forgive our sins and bring us into a relationship with God. And the more mature they would be, the more elements they'd have. But I think most people would say, if if you said, give me a one-sentence answer to this question, why did Jesus do what he did? They'd say, so we could go to heaven. But is that the right answer? Is that the best answer? That's certainly part of the answer. But is there more to the story? And the question is yes, there's much more to the story. Uh, you've, you've heard that analogy of the dash. You're, you're the date of your birth, the date of your death, and life is that little tiny dash in between. Uh, that matters to God. That matters to us. Uh, it's not just that, well, Jesus is the Lord, you can be saved, uh, now let's go to heaven. It's that there's a work that God wants to do in you. Why? Because He's creating a new heaven and a new earth. And that has already started. That process is underway, inaugurated by the resurrection of Jesus, uh, completed with a new heaven and a new earth when God in Christ returns uh, in glory uh, to establish a new heaven and a new earth. But right now, it's in process, and we're part of that process. So our salvation is assured. This is a testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So it's not that we're waiting to go to heaven. Heaven has come down to us. We're inhabited by heaven. The Holy Spirit uh, brings all the fullness of God into us. Now, the big, big question would be then, what would that look like as it develops in me? That's where we're going today. Um, I want to tell you a story. I was driving a truck pulling a horse trailer from Bridgeport, California to Santa Cruz, California. Uh, It was the end of a very long summer uh, of mountaineering up and down the West Coast in some beautiful mountain ranges uh, through a a Christian mountaineering outfit. And our late summer headquarters was Bridgeport, California, the the county seat of Mono County. If you drive up north from uh, Mammoth, You'll pass Levining. You can take a left there and go up to Yosemite itself or keep going. Uh, Up north, another pass, you drop down into a valley, and there's Bridgeport. So from Bridgeport to Santa Cruz, it's about a five-hour drive. And so um, I'm driving this big old truck called a Travelall. Uh, It looks like a big tuna boat on wheels, uh, pulling a horse trailer. And in that uh, trailer is this magnificent horse named Sonia, who can walk across polished granite as easily as she can walk through drifts of snow and across glaciers. An amazing horse. And I'm uh, accompanied by the fellow who owns the truck, the trailer, and the horse, uh, Dave Willis. Uh, Dave had lost his hands and his feet 
in a climbing accident on Mount McKinley, and so he got through the wilderness on Sonia. So having wrapped up the summer in, in the mountains at the end of a very long and wonderful summer of ministry in mountaineering, uh, we're on the way back to Santa Cruz where we'd store all the gear. Well, as we, as we are driving along the 680, which is on the east side of the, the Bay Area, driving south, say, from you know, Walnut Creek and Danville, uh, we hit a stretch of freeway, uh, not a stretch, but a, a point in the freeway where the, the freeway actually dropped a couple of inches. Kind of an odd thing, an uneven uh, part of the freeway. And as we did that, I heard this big thunk, a big metallic sound uh, uh, behind me. And I looked in the rearview mirror, and I'm only going about 55, I'm in the right lane, and, and I'm starting to see what looks like the trailer is, is backing up. It's receding. And all of a sudden, it stops for a moment, and then pop, pop. The, 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 tra the trailer has come off the hitch, and now the two chains, the safety chains have just popped off, and now the trailer is, is definitely slowing down. It's still going really fast, and it's, it's in the right lane. And so I'm slowing down, and I'm realizing, oh, my gosh, if it goes into the left lane, we're in big trouble. A car is going to hit it. But if it goes off the right lane, there's a ditch and a massive field of, of, uh, of brown uh, grass, huge you know, field full of, of, of uh, basically kindling that goes on, it looks like, forever. Now it's all developed. If you go along that part of 680 now, it's all stores and houses and things like that. But then it was just wide open. And so uh, I'm trying to stay close enough to the trailer to, to, to monitor what's going on. And, and it's all happening so fast. And the trailer then veers off to the right, goes down into the ditch next to the freeway, and rolls end over end. And, and now I pulled over, and, and I, I, I jump out of the truck, uh, having stopped the truck. And I'm thinking, oh, no, Sonia. But what's happened is because it's an old trailer, it didn't have a lot of reinforcement on the roof. It just had a, a, some light sheet metal. So as the, as the trailer went down into the ditch, the tongue of the trailer hit the ditch, and it rolled end over end. As it was rolling over, uh, the horse popped out the back of the trailer. The roof would be the roof of the trailer. As it's rolling over, it pops out, and the trailer keeps going, and then uh, uh, it slides down, and the tongue of the trailer is sticking up in the air, the wheels and the horse is now on the side of the road looking completely disoriented, uh, but, but all, on all legs, right? I'm thinking, oh, no, it could have broken a leg, could have died. Uh, it's, it's cut up. Uh, she's cut up. She's spooked. She's disoriented. She's, she's unsteadily walking. So I run back and get the horse so it doesn't go out in the freeway and, and, and pull it over to the side. Meanwhile, Dave has gotten out of the travel all, and he's slowly making his way over to me, and uh, I give him the horse, and now the field is on fire, and it's racing up to the trailer. So I jump up to uh, the top of the trailer. The tongue is sticking up in the air, remember? And there's these two component uh, compartments. And I open those up and start pulling tack out that we need for the horse. So I pull that out, throw that to the side, jump down. Just as the, as the whole thing is now engulfed in flames, the field's on fire. We pull it all away, and we're just standing there like, oh, no, what just happened, and now what? Well, a few moments later, a highway patrolman pulls over, uh, and uh, he calls a fire uh, truck. The fire truck comes out, and they put out the fire eventually. And uh, it, it's just all happening in a surreal, slow motion sort of a way uh, that I, one minute we're driving along talking, next minute it's this. And so just then a guy pulls over in a, in a truck, and he says, hey, uh, 
I'm a trainer of thoroughbreds, and that freeway exit, just a f you know a few hundred yards up the road, uh, if you go there and 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 go across the freeway, you'll find my stables, and I'll help you. Amazing! It's a thoroughbred racetrack right there on Bernal Road, at the 680. So uh, uh, Dave drives over there. I I uh, walk the horse. We walk it over to the trainer's um, facility. Uh, these people are phenomenal. Uh, it turns out uh, 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 some of them are believers, and we tell them what happened, and they said, yeah, that, that's happened before. That freeway is notorious for that. I don't know why they don't fix it. Uh, we told them about what we've been doing this summer, what, you know, what this amazing horse has been doing, and so they said, listen, we'll, we will get our vet out here. Uh, we'll give it antibiotics. We'll, we'll do everything we need to patch it up and make sure it's okay, and then you guys come back tomorrow uh, with a trailer and, and pick it up. So we went to Santa Cruz, came back the next day, and uh, some great stories came out of it. But, but the point of the story is this. A drive turned into an adventure, an unusual, exciting, hazardous experience. So what's new and different about that? That's life, isn't it? Uh, this is the nature of life in Christ. It's more than birth, school, work, death. It's that, all the normal things that happen in life and the unusual non-normal things that constitute life. And all of these, because of who Christ is, are divine appointments with God. Not that every moment of every day is this spiritual high, this mountaintop experience. But God is in our lives. And every aspect of our life is being redeemed. And He's present in it through His Holy Spirit, through His holy people. And that was one of those examples of that. Having had this magnificent summer of incredible ministry in the mountains, taking junior high kids, high school kids, college students, adults, in these outrageously beautiful alpine environments and having great conversations about, about things that matter, teaching them mountaineering skills. And now driving back, the unexpected happens. But that's life. Pretty much all of life is unexpected. Even our plans are disrupted by things we don't expect. Even when our plans work out well, there's things embedded in those plans, in those outcomes that we didn't expect. Christ is involved in all of it. We don't have to wait for heaven to experience him in our lives. He brings heaven with him wherever he goes. So the first point of the morning is this. Life matters from beginning to end. That dash in the middle is filled with meaning. One of the interesting and odd things to me is that in the great creeds of the faith, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, uh, pretty much we get the birth of Christ, uh, we get the, the end of Christ's life and promises for the future. They leave out any description of his actual life. Those three years that Jesus lived were powerfully important. And they become an incredible role model for us as we look at what does it look like for us to navigate our way through life in a post-resurrection world. Now, granted, we live in a post-Christian world. Uh, we're not a Christian nation uh, we're, we're a faith, even though there's a lot of Christians out in the world, several billion Christians inhabit the world, and yet we don't live in a Christian nation, a Christian world. We live in a, 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 a post-Christian world, if anything, but it's also post-resurrection, meaning God is at work redeeming the world, and we get to be part of that redemptive process. We get to be partners with God in His work in the world, outrageous as that sounds. And so this first point, life matters from beginning to end, and life for everyone is hard in some way. These divine appointments happen often as disruptions, things that we weren't planning on. 
Some lives are particularly difficult economically, physically, emotionally, socially. Maybe uh, you're going through some very difficult times and you're saying, I just need to put my life with Christ on hold while I deal with this stuff. The whole point of dealing with stuff is to do it in the context of your relationship with Christ. We don't ever live a postponed life. We don't ever say, well, let's just uh, put a pause on my relationship with the Lord so I can deal with life. It's in the midst of dealing with life that the Lord does His work and brings these divine appointments present that develop us. So the, the creeds that talk about Jesus' birth and death leave out some of the most important stuff, His life. Because it's His life that's a, not just a model for ours, but it's the paradigm that we get to enter into of what it means to walk with God. So life is about managing our challenges, but it's more than that. And because it's more than just managing challenges or competing or comparing with other people, <clears throat> it means that we cease comparing and competing and complaining and focus on our unique capacities. What is the unique thing that God can and will do in us in the actual situation in which we live with all of our deficits physically, economically, emotionally, uh, socially? It's not to say we stay there, but we start there. And it's from that place that God meets us and takes us where He's going to take us. And often it's, it's taking us not just uh, going through something, but growing through something. So that when we're perhaps on the other side of some physical challenges or economic or social, psychological uh, situations, we, we've been in a growth and development process. Now maybe some of those situations will never change. Your physical state will never change, but who you are inside is transformed nonetheless. And so it's about capacity. Uh, capacity is what you can, you can contain and produce, uh, what you understand, what you receive, what you give. What is your capacity? Everybody has a different a level of capacity and different kinds of capacities. But capacity is what we can experience, express, appreciate, value, care about, and offer up. And that's why we don't want to be comparing or competing or complaining. We want to say, okay, what is my capacity? What is the work that God wants to do uniquely in me that will tie in with all the work He's doing in those around me? And in the midst of that process, I realize that I have capacity for goodness and evil, for blessing and cursing, for gratitude and griping. I get to make some choices about my attitude <laughs> in the context uh, of my capacity. Am I going to approach the Lord with hands open or fists clenched? If it's a fists clenched, we're going to be making demands and, and complaining about what we don't have. If it's hands open, we're going to say, Lord, what is it you want to put in my hands? And what do I have in my hands that you want to show me how to use wisely? So how about you? How are you doing with your capacity? What could you do with your capacity? Are you aware that there's some undeveloped aspects of you? You've been so busy focusing on these big issues and, and problems that you fail to see that God is actually working in you to increase your capacity. <clears throat> so we all have challenges in life. We can all make excuses about how we live it. But in Christ, we learn to apply our faith to the challenges we face in life. I could have been complaining, ah, I can't believe this is happening. After all this work we've done this summer, after all these good things, now this, where is God in this? <laughs> and, and fail to see that, well, you know, <laughs> God has been in every aspect of this. 
The horse survived. We got our gear up before the trailer caught on fire. The highway patrol came in and made sure that we were okay. The fire guys came and put out the fire. A, a thoroughbred trainer pulled over and offered to, to take care of the horse. God was in all of it. God was in all of it. God will use all of it. Nothing goes wasted in the kingdom of God. He's in expanding our capacity, even within our present limits and sometimes beyond those limits. So in Christ, we learn to apply our faith to the challenges we face in life. And the point of our faith isn't escaping this world. It's walking with Christ in it and through it. How's that going for you? Are you intentionally walking with Christ through every day? As simple as the day might be, a day to kick back and relax, or as complicated and frenetic as it can be as you're trying to keep up with all kinds of demands and commitments and responsibilities. So if the point of our faith isn't escaping the world but walking with Christ in it, we can experience being reconciled to God as new creations in Christ and grow in His love. We get to appropriate His love and His grace. And when we, ad- when we appropriate His love and grace, what happens? We develop skills, a greater capacity for coping with life, for being creative in the face of our challenges. We can't go back for a do-over, but we can become what we are in Him. So what are you becoming? Are you becoming bitter or better about your life? Uh, Are you experiencing long-suffering, or are you simply being insufferable? We get to choose our attitudes. We get to apply these new skills uh, to every aspect of our life. We're not working for our salvation. We're working out our salvation as we do that. Uh, Genesis 1 says it this way, Genesis 1, 26 to 28, describing our God-given role and responsibility. So God created humankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We have a job to do, to subdue and to rule. Subdue uh, is uh, the Hebrew word kabosh. That's a familiar word to you probably. Uh, You've heard somebody say, I put the kabosh on that. I stopped that. I subdued that. I defended against that. Kabosh means don't be overwhelmed by evil. Face it. Stand up to it. Confront it. Learn to defend wisely and effectively against things that can destroy you or others. That's what kabosh is about. So subduing uh, in the world is not about controlling and shutting down, minimizing and limiting. It's about saying, how do I defend what needs to be defended? How do I confront what otherwise is undermining God's good purposes for His creation? Well, the second word, rule, radah, is about doing something for the sake of, caring for things under your authority. Uh, The psalmist in Psalm 72 says it this way, talking about the king, for he will deliver the needy who cry out. It's the king, but also it's a messianic perspective. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. This is meant to be the standard for how a king would rule. It's also, again, as I said, a picture of the Messiah who ultimately 
will rule over his creation. Now, the prophet Ezekiel, uh, God speaking to and through Ezekiel to the people and specifically to the kings, condemned the rulers of Israel for neglecting this. Ruling this way, subduing in this way is a very big deal. It's a very high and holy responsibility. And so Ezekiel says, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So our, our high and holy calling uh, to subdue and rule is all about serving those who need to be served, caring for those who need to be cared for, protecting the integrity uh, of the people under our care. And then Genesis 2.15 summarizes it in one sentence in terms of this notion that we are called to uh, subdue and to rule, and it adds a couple more uh, words to it as well. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Two more concepts here, to work it and to take care of it. Uh, to work it, uh, to till the land, is the, is the Hebrew word abad. It means to develop. How do you take a field and develop into, into what it could be? How do you see a beautiful forest and protect it and defend it against what it needs to remain being? And then this word, uh, the Hebrew word shamar, means to keep, maintain, repair as we take care of it. And so we get these four words, to defend, to care for, to develop and repair. And that brings us to the second point of the morning. How's that going for you? What is your garden at this stage of your life? For whom are you responsible? To whom are you accountable? What are you defending, caring for, developing, and repairing? This is part of the work God has called us into. No matter what challenges or limitations or deficits uh, we have. He does this creative work in every person. Every person has their version of a garden. A garden that's worth defending, caring for, developing, and repairing. And he gives us the capacity to look beyond our garden and to help other people tend theirs. Not to barge in and tell them what to do, but to be ready to help as needed. This is the power of a beautiful uh, farming community or any kind of uh, vigorous a virtuous economy. People collaborate together to achieve these things. So Jesus did what he did so we could emulate him and bless others in his name. Now, thankfully, he gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us to that. He gives us his word to equip us and guide us in doing that. He gives us uh, a family, uh, uh, the body of Christ, a people of God to assist us and to share this incredible responsibility uh, to do that. So we're not just emulating saying, I'm going to be like Jesus. We're saying, because of who Jesus is, I want him to be that in me and through me. And I want to be part of a community of people who are likewise embodying who Jesus is. Because he's not just somebody who was, he's somebody who is. And again, through his Holy Spirit, his abiding presence, he's with us in this. And so we reclaim and renew our role, working our garden and caring for it. This is part of what Jesus did and why he did it. Uh, Paul tells us this in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, Messiah Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In a sense, we're resuming the work that was initially given to us in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. 
by His grace and His love, His death, His resurrection, His life, God has redeemed us into a deep and new understanding of our original purpose, our, uh, His original plan. Paul said it this way in his letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. He does it in the form of a prayer. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Your skills are producing something of value. Growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, staying power, sustaining power, according to His glorious might, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. Powerful, powerful vision of who we are now in Christ. The Lord carrying forward what uh, He created uh, His world to be and now reclaiming it and redeeming it in Christ. And we're part of that essential work that God is doing. Inaugurated through the resurrection of Jesus, completed when He returns in glory to establish a new heaven and a new earth. So it's not just a hang out, wait for it to happen kind of a time. It's a be fully engaged time. Lean in. So does that describe you or not? If not, why not? Remember, Jesus said, uh, John quotes this in John, John's Gospel 10.10. I've come to give you life in all its fullness. Full access faith. You have full access to the plans of God, to God's designs, to God's purposes. You get to be part of it right now, right here. It goes on forever, but it begins now as we receive Him and yield ourselves to Him, as we submit ourselves to Him and His purposes for us, as we welcome Him into our life and receive the gifts He's entrusting to us. His presence increases our capacity to receive and give love. And in the process of receiving love and grace and truth, we're able to give it. Again, a, a virtuous cycle that blesses us and blesses other people through us. And so in His love and His grace, a mess becomes a message. Our limits are not God's limits. His unlimited love comes into our very limited life and changes everything. The third point would be this. All human flourishing and development is created by God. Even for a person who says, well, I don't believe in God. That doesn't apply to me. Oh, it does. If you are flourishing and developing, that is part of you having been created in the image of God. Now, you might be doing some very impressive things, but you'll never know the true meaning of those things until you come alive in Him, until you're back in relationship with Him. And that's why people I know who have been very accomplished in life, when they finally come to know Christ, they say, oh, I've been giving credit to the wrong person. I've been giving it to me or to luck or fate. But it's you, Lord, who have been working in me and through me, even though I didn't know you and perhaps I was disrespectful toward you, disdainful of you resentful that anybody would think that I needed you. But now that I know you, Lord, I praise you and honor and glorify you. Maybe you've had that experience in your life. If not, you need to have that experience in your life to say, Lord, it's you in me that makes all the difference. 
you in us that makes all the difference. And so uh, ask yourself, um, do my thoughts, do my pursuits, do my, does my initiative, my intentions, my interventions, do they bless others? Or am I too preoccupied with I, me, and mine to have any bandwidth for others? Do I see people as just instruments to be used and manipulated and exploited for my own purposes? Do I start by asking the question, what's in it for me? Rather than asking, Lord, what's in it for you and your kingdom and the people you want to bless through me? Because you're always going to be blessed as you do God's will, as you walk with Him. That just comes with the territory. We're blessed. Even in the, in the hardest things we go through, we have a very serious sense of, you know, I'm actually being blessed by God's presence in some ways I would have never recognized before. What I would have resented then, now in Christ I recognize for what it is. Why is this the case? It's because our Heavenly Father knows what we need. So we don't need to second guess him. Do you really love me? Are you really here? Are you really in this? Yes is the answer. Yes, yes, and yes. Your life matters because you matter to him. It's him in you blessing others. It's not about being superficially nice. It's about being deeply alive in the Messiah Jesus, our Savior and Lord. And we see in him uh, again, not an example that we emulate on our own strength, but what we can aspire to be, knowing that He's developing us to be it, which is He was purposeful, authentic, relational, situational, humble, spirit-led. He was wise, discerning. He was present. He was focused in His commitments. He brought value. Uh, where He saw value, He confirmed it. Where He saw that values were not glorifying Him or blessing people, He confronted them in people and in situations. And the interesting thing is he wasn't always on. He wasn't ever on. He was simply himself. If you've ever felt that pressure to be on, you can let go of that. You can simply be you in him now and forever. That frees us up to simply walk through life and say, I need to confess my sin here. I need to seek forgiveness there. I need to grant forgiveness over here. I need to confront over here. I need to comfort over here. We become free. Our range of motion becomes expansive. Again, even if we have economic or physical or emotional, social limitations, if we're limited geographically. Uh, COVID has shut us down hard. But if, you know, if you're not real about it and say, Lord, you can work even in the midst of COVID, we'll use COVID like anything else we could use as an excuse not to be engaged, but to withdraw, either in a state of panic or, or a pity party. But rather, he gives us the capacity to say, Lord, what else do you want to do in me and through me? What else do you want to teach me? This is powerful. This is where you become the fullest expression of you. So he was simply always himself, and we can do likewise. We, you can simply be you in him. So this is it. I want to leave you with this thought. Be you in him with and for others, and you will experience life in all its fullness. You will experience heaven now, in you and through you, so that by the time uh, you actually experience heaven, you'll say, this is really familiar. This is really familiar. I can see now that God has been doing this all along, and now it's in its fullest expression. That's where you're going, and He's the one who's going to get us there. So Lord Jesus, I pray for me and my brothers and sisters that we would be focused on You. We'd be faithful to You. We'd be able to walk with you 
in newness and fullness of life, both now and forevermore. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So let me offer you a blessing as you move into the rest of your day and week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord reflect everything that he is on you, that you might reflect it to others in his name, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.